Before we get started today, we have a sponsor, and that is the Hasty Rescue Strap. The Hasty Rescue Strap is a game-changing rapid intervention tool intended to quickly package a downed firefighter in a makeshift harness without the need to adjust the SCBA waist belt and provides fixed handles for dragging, lifting, or hoisting. It's available now for pre-order at www.hastyfireproducts.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. This will be episode number 37 of the Tip of the Spirit Leadership Podcast. Today, I have Mr. Nick Esposito from the Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department with me. He is the guy behind Truck Tactics. And uh, Nick, thanks for joining us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Nick. Just uh, if you really quick, if really quick, if you could please, uh, just give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are. Uh, you know, nice introduction of you, and uh, go ahead. Sure. Um, started in the fire service in 1989 in a volunteer department in uh, Verplank, New York, very small town. Nobody really ever heard of it. Um, bounced around a little bit. I got hired um, in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, in 1999, and I'm still there now. Um, I'm currently serving as an assistant chief assigned to the West Side Battalion. Um, the truck tactics training um, has been an, an offshoot of my experiences um, with um, the city of Bridgeport being a, at the time I was a lieutenant on a, a ladder company and I had, um, I was fortunate to be around a really good senior uh, man and two very eager younger firefighters that really wanted to learn and it was just a great environment to watch that whole thing kind of go and so um it kind of took off and i wrote a couple articles and and you know next thing i know we're teaching and we're probably up to 20 to 24 in-person events a year Uh, we try to take the winter off but um but yeah it's going well sounds like you're doing a great job with it i've seen a lot of the stuff that you post on uh instagram and some other areas and I think it's really good. Um, I think you can obviously tell that a lot, I would say actually 90% of that is all from actual experience, not something you read in a book, not an article. It's or like a buzz phrase that I feel like you kind of start to see that makes things antiquated throughout social media, which is kind of the way that social media goes sometimes. But um, from what I've seen, everything is that you teach, that you talk about is stuff you've literally experienced yourself. You've actually gone through. And, and, and I think that really shores up um, the message that you try to put off when or the message. Well, I you're appreciate putting that. I, I think the neat thing about it was that I, I really caught an opportunity at the right time. And the, the, the senior man on that company had been driving the truck longer than I'd been on the job. Um, well-respected in the department, well-respected in the region for doing really good work. And, you know, we had these two younger guys that really wanted to jump in and run. And so really taking advantage of that culture that was already there and and working with the senior man, Mike Candela, really good dude. Um, and then, honestly, I, I ended up doing a fair amount of research as the officer trying to see where I was going to fit into that learning environment. And so I, I you know, Mittendorf's book, John Norman's book. Some of the other stuff, even the IFSTA stuff, some of the old stuff um, that's kind of out of print. Um, I think one of the ones that was most beneficial was Brennan's good practical um, educational materials and applying them to what we were doing. And and that worked out pretty well, I think. And that's kind of what I think allows us to be successful. It's not just, um, you know, our way. Um, We really try to be open minded about it. So it's worked out well. So with that time on, with, with that group that you're talking about, um, you know, you talked about figuring out how to fit in as an officer, and you mentioned a couple of books that you read. Can you think of any fires or any incidents that kind of, you had like an aha moment, like, you know, hey, oh, you know, this is going on. 
holy crap, I just read an article about this or whatever. Did, did you find anything on the fire ground that kind of added that link together where it all kind of came together for you? The reading, well, the training and all that. Yeah, I, I know exactly the defining moment. We were special called on a second alarm as the third in truck. And um, Bridgeport, Connecticut is an old mill town. So the vast majority of our housing stock is two and a half and three story wood frame dwellings that are balloon frame. And so the propensity for fire travel is huge. And so we had a really big bomb that was just going a really big three wood. And um, so we're, we're driving across town, you know, we're special called going to a job, very excited, told us to come in the opposite way of travel that traffic normally would go. So we're going, my guy, Mike gets a great spot. Me being the uh, this is my time to shine as the, the younger officer. Hey, Mike, let me jump out and see what this looks like. So I jump out and I pull him up 10 feet and he doesn't want to come up. So I, I'm like, come on, come on, you'll, you'll get it. So sure enough, he pulls up 10 feet and I totally take him out of the game. So he, he gets out of the truck, looks at it, gives me the what for, jumps back in the rig and we back him up 10 feet. And that was really a defining moment for me that, you know, um, I'm, I'm the officer and I'm, you know, responsible, but I can't do it all, don't know it all, and I have to depend upon my people. And that really was the turning point for me to make sure that I I trusted my people. We we had good relationships, so we understood how people were going to operate and, and what their focus was beforehand. And then that way, when we would go to the fire scenes, it would take a lot of the, the guessing out of it. Um, and then that really started to build our trust um, and, and really let me be better at allowing my folks to go and do the work that they needed to do. So what I really learned from that was not only from Mike with positioning the truck with the other firefighters, giving them the space to be able to go and operate, to perform at a very high level. And, and I, I think that served me well, and it was a lot of fun. And I, I, I hope that that kind of came through with the other companies and the commanders. Sure. You know, and the other thing I think when it comes to building that trust and stuff is obviously trust takes time. You know, you don't rush it, right? Over time with trust and, and consistency for, you know, both yourself and the firefighters, you know, the officer being consistent, the firefighters being consistent, cons consistently proving they know what their job is. They consistently can be dependable. They can consistently um, do things the right way the first time and you can consistently allow them to do it. You start building chemistry, right? So it all comes down to the point or and then it'll come to the point where, excuse me, you start to know kind of where they're going to go with it, right? You could pull up to that exact same building under very similar conditions and, you know, it'll be the next, you know, quote unquote next time. And instead of you saying to your driver, you know, Hey, pull up or back up or go this way or go that way, pulling into the block, you're looking at it and you just don't say a word to him because you know, he's got it and you know where he's going to go. Or you could even do one of those, Hey, you're going to pull up right there and stop. Right. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, LT. Do you need me to do anything else? No, I'm good. Or you, or you could be on the level where you just don't say a word. You know, and, and I think that's something that's very important as well. And, and that scenario that you talked about, that call that you talked about it is very, the way that we're, I mean, obviously the details are different, but the scenario that played out, I feel any officer with time on has been through that exact moment. Right. You know, and on the flip side of that, you know, you had a great driver that knew what he was doing. There's also a, a, a cattle or a, 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 um, the other side of that where they don't know what they're doing and that can happen too. And that's okay. And this is, none of this is to be shitty towards anyone or saying, you know, guys don't know what they're doing, but you know, that's why as officers, I feel that sometimes, even if you know what they're doing, you have to give a verbal cue to where you both are clear or you're on the same page with whatever it is going on. It's not because I don't trust you. It's just, you know, over time, I'm going to know what you're thinking, but I want to make sure I'm on the right path and you're on the right path. And I know, you don't understand what I'm saying? Right. So basically after that alarm, Mike pulled me aside and we talked and, um, you know, we had a very good, honest, respectful conversation and, you know, we're great friends, you know, so, um, and there wasn't any ego or anything like that, but basically he's like, listen, it's, it's your company, which it, you know, it's our company, but he's like, it's your company, but I'm, I'm going to 
do the best that I can do to, to make us look good. And so basically that was the, 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 the call that made me see that I needed to take a turn and really kind of let go. And not that I'm, I was, you know, sending my responsibilities somewhere else, but, you know, allowing me to understand that, you know, Mike trusted me and I trusted Mike, but I had to let Mike do the job now. Right. And so, um, what it did is it really changed the way that we talked to each other. So we, whenever we were pulling up, we would always have a conversation just so that we knew each other's expectation and that we were on the same page. It was never, Mike, I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I was like, Hey pal, what do you see here? I said, I got wires on the, the alpha Bravo side, you know, smoke's pushing over here. I think it's going to be out these three windows in another 10 minutes where you want to go. And he's like, the only spot I have is over here. So I think that's what I'm going to get. Okay, great. You need help? Yeah. Nope. I got it. Okay, cool. And then I would jump and our crew split and then I would be gone. So the other thing too was the two guys in the back, their name is, um, at the time it was Alex and Sean. Very good guys. What I learned very quickly was when they were uh, wanting to get checked off, very quickly I learned you don't just jump in the front of the truck and drive like Mike. And that's really where the class came from. Um, and so the conversations that I would have with Alex and Sean when they finally were checked off to drive, um, even though they were in the same spirit, they were very different because I needed to make sure that, that depending upon which one, you know, that we really were on the same page and we had it. You know, one thing that I always say, which is pretty funny, is that, and I didn't notice it right away, but as we went to more fires, I would notice that with any of them, they would say, I got it, okay, and then they'd put it in position, I'd jump out of the truck, and then go do my thing. Without fail, wherever the truck was when I left wasn't where it was when I came back, if that makes sense. So there was usually yeah. some kind of micro-adjustment that they'd have to make. And, you know, giving them the, the latitude to do that, I don't need to tell them where to do it. They know where they need to put that turntable to get the work done and things like that. So empowering them to not be afraid to make those decisions is important because I'm not even there anymore. I'm inside doing whatever. And if, if they get a bad spot and they say, well, this is where, you know, Lou put me, nah, it doesn't work. You know, they understand the expectation. They need to go and, and, and get what they can. And look, if they got a bad spot, they would own it. But by and large, they didn't get bad spots. Sure. And you know, that's something I've been through a little bit too. And, and one thing I've learned in my time is, uh, you know, I've had drivers come up to me and, and they'll, you know, after like the same exact thing. Hey, I did this because of this, this, and this. Hey, just a heads up. I, you know, I had this issue with this other driver. You know, they were upset because I took this hydrant or I readjusted for this or that. And, and you know, you could just say, well, I don't care what they have to say. You're good. Don't worry about it. I always felt like taking the time to say, you know, you know, if they reposition or whatever it is, well, why'd you do that? Or why, why do you, why did you reposition? Like what made you think that? Like what led you to that? All right. You know, I did it because X, Y, and Z. And then you have a quick 30 second chat. And then I think you end it with, you know, Hey man, look, you did a good job, you know? And I feel like when you show that genuine, um, like you care as to why they did it rather than just saying, well, I trust you. Don't worry about it. Walking through that conversation when the drivers are in those positions in that, you know, they're newer drivers, I think it reassures them to, um, be able to make the decision, you know, trust their instincts, trust the, trust the decisions that they're making. And I think that will lead them to be that senior driver at some point later in their career with when they have more time on, more fires on and all those things. Um, you know, and I think that's important. And uh, I wanted to kind of change foot a little bit um, with our with our discussion. We talked about this before we started recording. And uh, one of the things that two things, well, the first one was, you know, Minor alarms, um, you know, low budget fires, uh, reps fires, you know, they all have kind of different names, but, you know, using the minor alarms as training for confidence and um, being able to make their own decisions. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. I know we talked a little bit before we started recording. Right. So um, there's a ver very few places today that are truly busy firewise. And so anytime you get an opportunity, to do a rep, like you said, those minor alarms, you know, for the aerial position, the thing we're big on two sides on the roof. We're very much a vertical vent forward roof. So the operator understands the expectation. So go ahead, 
position it, throw the outriggers, throw the aerial. You know, even if, you know, the first engine says, hey, it's food on a stove, we just need a fan. I don't care. Set the rig up and do it. Let's go. Because, you know, when the, when the bell hits, the community knows you're going to do firefighter stuff, but they have no idea what it looks like. And so why stop? Just keep going. And so I, I do think it's important to do that. The other thing, too, is when positionally um, you're, you kind of require your folks to, to see their part through, I think what it does is it's going to build some habits for them. They're going to like say, you know, typically for us, um, if you're going on the floor above, you usually go through the rear and, you know, that has challenges. Sometimes just accessing the rear can be difficult. So the more times they go and run into these obstacles in low stress environments, they're going to be better suited to handle them in a high stress environment. Um, you know, go and see how doors are locked on the third floor in the rear, right? Go and, and get a sense of, you know, the first two truck went up the front stairs, but man, we beat them up the back stairs because there's a whole log jam of stuff. So now all of a sudden the, the, the floor above crew is the first one inside and now they have to give a report and they're just firefighters. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're not a supervisor. So now all of a sudden they're doing, you know, they're reporting back to command on what they see. So they're being empowered. And in these, these low budget alarms, it allows them to gain that confidence to when the bell hits at three in the morning and they are up on that floor above, suddenly they're used to giving floor above reports because they've done it 10, 15, 20 times already at a lesser alarm, you know, and I think that's important. When we, we constantly gauge things back, return company stage, we're not, we're not doing ourselves any, any good favors because when we finally do get the fire, that's where the hesitancy comes from. That's where micromanaging comes from. That's where people being out of position comes from. All those things. So um, tailboard talks are big in the firehouse, training when you're out in the community, just talking about it and, and just constantly keeping them in the game is important. So do you ever find yourself kind of looking back and, and when it comes to these minor alarms, do you ever find yourself looking back and think that, they had a dramatic impact on how your crew performs at that present moment where, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, uh, a little bit before, but, you know, obviously as you train, change these tactics and, and your ideologies as an officer, you're going to see what's working and what's not working. Obviously the minor alarms, um, reps, fires, whatever you want to call them over time. And as you see those, those probably come more often than the larger fires, obviously, but do you see your guys getting more confident and being able to take the initiative on different things? Or, you know, maybe if there's an officer kind of meddling where they shouldn't be, they can be assertive and kind of, you know, have the confidence to say what they're doing, where they're at and why they're going to be there rather than kind of blindly saying, you know, okay, well, this other officer came and told me to do this. I'm going to leave now. That kind of stuff. You have any experience with that? Yes. So what I think is just by having those simple reps gives them the confidence to understand that I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm here at the right time. And now there's an expectation. And so when they get there, um, you know, if they've already done it a bunch of times and, and let's just say that that other officer hasn't, you know, now maybe the officer may be hesitant sure. to give out that report or or they're searching for their words or whatever. And then you give that firefighter the confidence. I always said when I was on the rescue company that my floor above crew, they were de facto fire officers because they were operating independently, but they had tremendous responsibility. And so by, by kind of giving them um, some of your authority, um, it, it, it does empower them to not be afraid to talk on the radio, to, not be afraid to say, hey, to the nozzle person, look, man, you got to push into the next room or to say to the truck that might already be opening up and they, they stop. Hey, brother, keep going. I, I think it's in a couple more bays or, you know, what, I need you to come over into this room because I think it's running over into this wall. And, and now we have extension and the room could be clean. And you may have an officer that's hesitant to do that because maybe they haven't seen it before or maybe they just don't want to. They're not ready to take that responsibility to suddenly do more damage or whatever. And the reality is that, you know, the goal is to limit damage. and We can only limit damage by by going to those places and making sure that we don't have that extension. So, yeah, I, I think it has paid off. You know, the other thing with that, too, is especially when it comes to, I guess, um, the interactions I think you're going to have as a firefighter. And this is something I've personally experienced where. You know, as an officer, um, you know, I've been on a on a truck on 
when I first got promoted and, and then, you know, throughout my time and, and um, on overtime and that kind of stuff. And there was a fire that I ran and there's a couple of firefighters in a place where they weren't supposed to, I wasn't expecting them to be because that's where we're supposed to operate. And I went up to the guy and I was like, you know, what do you got? Who, you know, who are you? What are you doing? What are you doing here right now? Kind of like, what are you supposed to be doing? And they're like, Hey, this is our unit. This was our assignment. And we're supposed to be opening up and hooking. And I'm like, well, I said, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to be searching. We're supposed to be up here and opening up. Well, no, we're not. I'm like, well, you're the search company. You need to go search. Uh, do you think anybody's in this area? You know, whatever. Oh, no. Uh, all right. Well, we'll go search. All right. Cool. No big deal. Right. So there's a lot of times where I feel like, and there's on the flip side of that, excuse me, where I've come in and said, you know, who are you? What are you doing? Or what are you guys doing right now? Or whatever. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but, you know, they were like, well, we're supposed to be here. We're on this unit. This is our, you know, this is our assignment. We're with you. And I'm like, okay. And I missed it. You know, and, and being able to have the confidence to just not, oh, the lieutenant, all, captain, whatever, told me to leave or, at, you know, whatever it is. That officer may not be up there inexperienced and not knowing what they're doing. They're probably just trying to figure out who's what, who's where. And it's kind of hard. I mean, and you know this. It's not exactly easy to see people. So if right. I bump into someone I'm not expecting, like, you know, who are you? This is who I am. I'm the division supervisor. What are you guys doing here? Oh, we're this crew. All right, cool. Rather than being like, oh, well, we'll just leave or not say anything and just do what you're told. Like being, and it, it's not always a confrontation and a bad thing, but you know, if I'm an officer and I bump into you, I need you to tell me what you're doing and then be confident enough to say, this is where we're supposed to be operating. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to sit right. and yell at you to get out. You, you know, I mean, there's, that's, I mean, that's the flip side of it too, I think. Um, you know, I think it's just one of those things that, you need to be able to be assertive because you don't know who you're going to run into. You don't know what the situation's going to be. And I, and I kind of feel like, and you probably have experience with this where, you know, you have those situations that another firefighter, not from your company is going to tell you, Hey, this, this plan isn't working. We need to change direction. You, you know, the fire's not going out. The fire's not here. It, it might be below us. And that kind of talks to what you said about being able to have the confidence through those reps fires to know exactly what you're getting into and, and, and when things need to change. Right. You know, and I think to any department that, right, you know, they're aggressive or whatever. My department likes to, to say that they're aggressive and I, and I believe that we are, but that comes at a cost. And sometimes they don't check up enough in the street to look at the building enough to really read it and see what's going on and so yeah if, if you do miss something if you do end up on the floor above right get on the radio and communicate that and then figure out what your your plan is um you know it's it, it nobody wants to be there but if you are there then you better say it right because if it looks bad smells bad tastes bad feel bad then yeah guess what it's bad um sure. you know so you have that you know the big thing that that i i tried to teach my people and now as a an incident commander, I want my fire service personnel to have a bias for action. I'm not from the military, but I'm sure that's a military term. It doesn't mean be reckless and and cause undue damage. What it means is like we were here, we're here because somebody called for an emergency and it's our job to mitigate it. Nobody else is going to do it. Let's make sure we do it right. And so I'm a big fan of, you know, if, if I tell folks, you know, the, the box that they're supposed to operate in, I'll let them paint the corners and, and go all the way, right? And I'll trust them to do that, right? And that's important because at the end of the day, if they're afraid to do something, or what's worse is if they say they've done something and they really haven't, then we're, we're going to be in, in trouble. And so, really grooming people way before the alarm and using those other reps to reinforce the concepts and the expectations that will really help out having a successful fire ground. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it works, you know, and I think now, you know, some of those folks, both Sean and Alex are, are fire lieutenants and it's fun to watch them, you know, run their companies and, 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 and work in their positions. Um, you know, and, and I do know that they still have growing to do as they know that, but they're doing great jobs with it and they're not afraid to kind of push a little bit. You know, the, the big thing too, is like in training, if and whatever fire academies, it's usually pretty cut and dry. 
and I don't think that we um, prepare people to be comfortable with the 80% solution. And, and I think the fire ground, I mean, to your point, even just not having visibility immediately takes your certainty down to a certain percent. And then, you know, not knowing all these other things. And then, you know, the tick as good as it is, when it works right, it's great. And when it's, when it's, you're trying to make it tell you something that it can't, it's, it's not x-ray vision, you know, so that, that can compound problems too. And, and I, I've seen it more with younger officers relying too much on a tick instead of just doing the work right and listen we've got to open the wall we've got to do this we've got to do that you know um you know that kind of stuff and then reporting back benchmarks very important sure and you know to touch a little bit on what you said before um you know painting every corner of the box and you talked a little bit earlier about you know you ultimately you're responsible for the crew but you're it's i forget exactly how you said it i'll give them i'll give them my authority right but i ultimately i'm responsible and i understand that so Right, exactly. So I expect you to paint every corner, or not expect, I want you to paint every corner of that box. And, and you know what, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for everything. And you make the decision that you can with what you have between your two hands, make it work. And then at the end of the day, I'll handle it. I'll take the brunt of it. And then if you're wrong, you and I are going to talk. However, being able to, I don't want to call letting the leash out, but being able to hand out that much trust and being able to hand out that much, um, uh, space. I don't want to say leash, but space, you know, it allows for better decisions, more aggressive decisions. I really love the fact you brought up the 80% solution. The 80% solution is a good plan enacted now is better than a great plan enacted later when you only have most of the information, not all of it. Um, I, I think that is something that I really did not understand for a very long time as an officer. And it only kind of clicked within like the last two years. Um, you know, but make those decisions, hammer it down. If we're not right, we'll figure it out, you know, and, and having that trust with those guys and girls that you work with, you know, I give you that trust, you go out and you have a scenario and you do X, Y, and Z, and it just shits. It doesn't work, you know, and I don't want to say you look bad, but like, it doesn't look good, right? Come back, we'll talk about it, you know, we'll, you know before we leave the call, you know, hey, what happened? Hey, look. I had boom, 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 boom. This is why I did it. It just didn't work out. Well, you know what? That's the flip side of the 80% solution. Right. The, exactly. the key you needed was in the other 20% and you didn't have it. Right. And again, I think with the workup, those conversations, building trust, you have an understanding of, of what their tendencies might be, what their perspectives are, because everybody sees things different. And again, you know, you're all, we're all going to go to fires and do things wrong. Lord knows I've done plenty of wrong. Um, but again, it's, it's, once you do that 80% solution, implement it and then pivot based on the response, sure. that's what's important. And there may be times where you're always playing catch up and the fire's just going to win. Right. And then there may be times where it was a, a teaching point that wasn't given out. Maybe it was just a lack of experience with a certain condition, you, you know, again, you know, it's an imperfect practice because you know, the fire gets the vote, right? And so sometimes, you know, you're going to put your best foot forward and you're going to lose. And so when that happens, yeah, right, let's let's talk about it. And that's the important part is, is that, you know, as long as it's coming from a place of trying to do good work, trying to be a part of the, the larger picture and, and the solution, then then that's good. But if it's something out of selfishness or lack of humility or arrogance or ego, you, you know, we got to talk about that too. Yeah, and you know, firefighting has been around for however many years now. We'll just say a hundred years. The American Fire Service has been around, just for conversation's sake. You know, the environment changes, but fire is still a, in my opinion, I think the most damaging natural, um, natural disaster there is. Right. So, you know, it's going to be around. It's not going anywhere. Even though the fire service, we're kind of putting ourselves at. Where, I think we're the only industry that tries to put ourselves out of service for through fire prevention. But either way, the point that I'm making is there will be fires. It doesn't matter what kind of building it is. Now they have the lithium ion battery phenomenon that's kind of traveling all over electric cars that park in garages, lightweight construction buildings. It doesn't matter. You're going to have fires. And, and, and as time goes on, you're going to have to adapt, even fires and sprinkler buildings. But what I've learned is, and, and you know, I would love for you to talk on this a little bit as well, is 
no matter how far we get, you still have to rely on your instincts, your experience, and the people with you. So thermal imaging cameras are great. They're, 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 they revolutionized a lot of things. They're a very, very good tool to use, right? You can't rely on the thermal imager. You can't rely on your cell phone to get you to a call. You can't rely on a computer or a CAD to tell you things. It all comes down to the individual. It all comes down to your experience, um, the fires you've been through, the people that you've, you've, you've learned from. And, and one thing I learned as an officer, a new officer, I had somebody tell me nothing's more powerful than your instinct, your eyes, or your, your five, uh, your senses. Um, and you know, one thing you need to understand is you have to be able to have a sharp mind because especially when you go into a fire, everything else is gone. You can, your smell is gone, your taste is gone. You can hear, but as you've learned, and I'm sure you've been there before, when, you're, when your adrenaline starts jumping up, right, you st- what do you lose? You lose your hearing. You have, you have the tunnel vision effect. Right. So everything starts zooming in and then you're in, again, you're in your own mind. So being able to control your mind, being able to understand those things are just tools. They should be there to finesse and, and help you to success. You can't rely on them. Right. And, and I think too, um, you know, you can only work as fast as the environment's going to allow you to. Right. And I understand, you know, trap people and my mom's in there. I get all that. Um, but the reality is that once you lose your senses, now you're if, if you're working ahead of your abilities to process, um, sooner or later, you're going to get caught out. And, and that's the hard part. And so it is, you know, um, really paying attention to what's going on around you. That's why it's also important to understand who's going to be operating around you. I always say it. I listen to the radio. I say I listen to the music of my people. That does help me to understand better of what's going on around me. And then it'll allow me to have a better understanding of of what changes I can anticipate or maybe the change that I want that is not coming. And then from there, you know, you can make those decisions. Um, you know, the frustration about every fire is that it's, it's over so fast. You beat yourself up because you feel like you screwed it up and then you want to go to another one and it doesn't come for a while. And then it, it feels like you're, you're, you're starting over from, from scratch. And that's the hard part. Um, so, you know, I'm not a gadget guy. I don't, I'm not saying that technology is bad, but you know, we don't train up to the point that meets the complexity and the uh, the abilities of the technology most times. And so, you know, I don't want to see somebody get lost in a room because they haven't taken their face off of the thermal imager. I'd much rather have them be oriented and going a little slower and kind of paying attention because that's going to allow them to have a more successful outcome, I think. Um, you know, we can only do things so fast. Our training, I think across the board, everybody knows our training isn't what we thought we used to have maybe um Mm -hmm. and i and i think that leaning forward to more technology is is making it more difficult and and again i think like that thermal imager as good as it is you know it's 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 just a tool and it, it doesn't have any priority over a lot of the other you know old school senses that you have yeah, like kind of keeping your collar back a little bit or, you know, uh, your your gauntlet or your sleeve pulled back a little. I don't want to say skin exposed, but something to where you have a weak point where you can feel heat or, you know, one thing I was kind of taught and it happened. It's I've used it a handful of times in my time as an officer where, you know, you don't know where it is. You know, you check the lowest level and you can't find it. It's hot you know, pull your hood back a little bit, kind of turn your head. You're not like opening your skin, right. but you're allowing a little bit in there. Flip up your um, your ear flaps a little bit. So now you have Nomex that's touching your skin. So that's going to be the most sensitive part. And you can feel, well, it feels a little cooler over there. Well, it feels really hot over here. Or, you know, you pull it back and it's immediate bee stings and you slam it back closed. And you're like, all right, we're in a real hot environment. Let's open the line up. Let's get it figured out. Um, you know, and, and I think when you default to those basic, basic fundamentals, um, you can then build off of it. And, you know, talking, you know, and a little bit of what you said with the uh, imager and not being able to keep up with technology, you know, I I think once you start complicating and adding a bunch of things in, I feel like your brain can only move so fast, especially in the environment, that style of environment. And 
anyone with time on and has been to a lot of fire, uh, been to a decent amount of fires to where they're actually able to com- be confident and slow down and understand where they're at in that space. I think they can understand that you're not doing a ton of incredibly complex things. It's very simple movements, you know, like you're moving a hose line, forcing a door, which might be difficult, opening a wall, clearing a window, um, venting or searching. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I think they're not complex situations. And I think tools like that should only be the icing on the cake. Like, you know, you go, you're checking a room, a floor, whatever it is, check it, done. Right. Check it done, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because when you get, like you said, you get zoned into that four inch, six inch, whatever that screen is. Now you miss everything. The big view, you, you know, especially as an officer, like, where's this guy? Where's that guy? Who's doing that? He's doing that. What are the fire conditions? Is it getting hotter? Is it getting cooler? Like, do I hear crackling? Is it roaring over your, like, you have to be able to have that spatial awareness. That's the word I was looking for, that spatial right. awareness. You know, and there's times where it's it's been a great, uh, compliment to my ability to have a better understanding of how I was operating and more importantly, how my people were operating. So, you know, everybody, all firefighting is local. I, I don't know who said that. I wish I, I knew because I, I thank them for it. But, um, you know, so I've been in situations where, you know, we're doing an oriented search. I've got one guy in one room, one bedroom. Our bedrooms are 10 by 10, 10 by 12. So put one in one room, one in the other room. I'm staying at the hallway and I'm watching with the thermal imager and I'm paying attention to how the fire's coming down the hall or where it's coming from up the stairs, right? And then that way I can I can let these guys know. And I can also poke my head in quick and say, hey, there's a bed on the left, right? If I can see that, or there's a window to your right, whatever. And I can help them with that. The beauty of that is, and I, I know some people say, well, you should be searching too, but whatever, I'm not getting into that. The beauty of that is what I'm trying to do is even when you're searching in the dark, even though we, we think that we're really good at search, you are quickly becoming task overloaded. And if I can give other inputs that the, that firefighter doesn't have to actively work for, it allows them to use that as information to raise their confidence, give them a little bit more perspective, focus their efforts, work more efficiently. And then in the end, we're, we're working safer as well. And then hopefully it's better outcomes for everybody. So again, I'm not against technology. I just think that it absolutely has its place. You know, the flip down thermal imager on, on the front of your helmet or on the front of your SCBA, I'm, I'm totally out on. But, you know, we've kind of gotten down a rabbit hole with that stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I believe by empowering people, paying attention to people, giving them focus, right? And and I think we we believe that our basic tasks are basic when actually every firefighter, regardless of what situation they're in, they do become task saturated. And then believe it or not, like I've, I've gone to fires thinking I've done a great job and I've had the chief pull me aside and he said, Hey, I called you three times and you didn't answer me. And I'm like, Oh, he didn't call me. And then I played the tape back. I had audio exclusion. I didn't hear it because I was overloaded. Right. But that's a reality of it. And then sort of throw all these other things on there. So to bring it back around, that's why I do believe it's so important to have those talks in environments that are not stressful, tailboard talks, keep your people engaged, use those minor alarms as really good reps, have the expectation that they're going to go where they're supposed to go and, and look for the things that they're supposed to and report back. And then it'll give them that confidence and that comfort. It'll be one less thing that they have to um, like uh, really like think about and, and, and be delivered about when since they already know and understand that it's almost in the subconscious and they're they're just doing it naturally and they can focus more on the things that are more of a new exposure to them. I also think with time and experience as an officer and a firefighter, um, but specifically as an officer, I think you're going to be able to prioritize what's important and what's just kind of mindless chatter, right? I think you could have, you could go to a fire and you could have about 10 different things going on, but realistically, what's the bare bones basic of what needs to happen. Water on the fire, right? Now, when you start opening that up and creating, you start working backwards from what the goal is, I think you'll be able to find the tasks that need to get done in order, what the priority is. And there's, there's things that are minor, mindless, again, like I said, mindless chatter. And, you know, I'm not a fighter pilot, but I do know, uh, I I can't remember what the name of the documentary was. But anyway, I was watching it. It was talking about mental performance. And one of the things that they have is they have um, in some of these modern fire, fighter jets, 
you know, $80 million jets that have the pinnacle of American military technology and you overload the pilot and they call it helmet fog to where there's so much information coming into the pilot at once that he cannot even if there's, I guess there's a, there's a point and they've, they've measured this, they've monitored this. It's, there's a point where they are so overcome with inform the brain, the human brain is so overcome overcome with information. You could sit there and meet your their ejection parameters in a split second, and they'll miss it. And that's something that that they train from day one. Like I think there's even a legal ramification if they don't eject. Like a lot of really bad stuff can happen to you, but it becomes so overwhelming you can't do it. So, um, so and- to that point. You're talking about people that are like, and I'm, I don't know the number, but the top 1% that have been given the green light to go and fly an F-35 or whatever, and then they've had hours sure. and hours and hours and hours of training, workup, simulators, and all of those things are the, the only unknowns are what's going on outside. Everything inside that, that cockpit, they know, right? And, sure. and they still have it happen. So now, sure. take the fire service. There's a whole lot of people from a whole lot of places, right? Um, varying degrees of ex- life experience, varying degrees of training, varying degrees of all sorts of stuff. And then for some reason, like our standards and all that stuff, think that everybody's going to suddenly be able to perform at the, at the highest level. And it just doesn't happen. It, it, it's not by mistake. You have to be deliberate about it. Sure. And it's the human factor too. And and one thing, like again, like I said, I work on a straight engine company, and one one thing I've learned is, and I feel it's made me more successful and much much more confident in my in when I do my job or when I do my thing, is being able to prioritize, right? And I know I said that a minute ago, but you know, as situations come up, all right, is this incredibly is this life threatening or is this going to cause a catastrophic failure? No. All right, well, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going to my objective. And then, you know, as you find those situations and it's immediate life situation or immediate threat situation that you have to handle, you handle it and then you keep going. And, and I think when you stop, when you kind of, you know, cut out the BS, um, I, I think that'll make you more successful. And, and I feel like people get caught up in too many nuances to where they start getting, again, like we talked about, overloaded. Um, then your your brain starts getting attached to too many things. And, you know, again, I'm not a military guy, but I do remember uh, learning from uh, Leadership Under Fire. They were talking about uh, Condition Black, where your mind is so overloaded. And right. they said that they had that um, during D-Day, where the soldiers, as they were storming beaches, uh, were so overcome with, I don't want to call it emotion, but they were so stressed. They are in that black condition. They had gear on them. They couldn't physically push themselves up. Well, because they were face down, falling, tripping, whatever, however they end up in the water. Water, they could just do a, a, a regular push-up and their head's out of the water. They were so overcome with stress, they didn't have the strength in their body to push up, and they drowned and died. Right. So, yeah. you know, I think that you do have to, you have to be able to manage that. And, and something we talked about a little bit before, actually, I think well before we recorded, was uh, the natural migration of officer development. And, you know, obviously that's not going to stop you from condition black, but um, once you learn what it's like to have that confidence, get the experience and, and understand your body is going to that stress level because you're overwhelmed or your, your adrenaline's running or, or whatever it is, being able to stop that and bring that back down, calm yourself down and, and, and have that, that comes as a, in my opinion, that's a benchmark in your career as an officer, as a leader, I, I think, because you can get those super high stress situations in the firehouse too, not just on the fire ground. I mean, a lot of it's on the fire ground, but you, there's some very stressful times in the fire department or in the firehouse. And, and, and I wanted to kind of swing the conversation to talking about um, that natural migration of, of uh, officer development. Right. So, I mean, I'll speak for myself and, uh, you know, I don't know if the people that I work with would agree with what I have to say or not, but I think... For me, when I, I really felt like I, I started to have it, my, when I started to understand my role better, it's, it's when I stopped being first person and I really kind of um, disengaged and I got that second level look at what was going on. And then what I did is I concentrated on a lot of things that I, I knew I wasn't doing. I had a chief officer tell me, you're giving me great reports, but you're talking too fast. You're giving me great reports 
but sometimes your jargon isn't understood by the rest of the people that are operating, right? And so by slowing down, really taking that second level look at things, speaking to people on the fire ground in the fire room, right, or on the floor above in a way that gives them confidence. So slowing down the, the rate that I'm speaking, right, lowering the octave so it sounds like I'm under control, right? And, and those kind of things really seem to do better on the fire ground. It, it allowed my people to have a better understanding of what we were trying to do in the heat of the moment. And it also allowed me to give simpler, more direct benchmarks or updates to the, the incident commander so they understood better of what we saw. And also, so one thing that I learned was, like, I love to go to fires and I love to stay in there as long as I can and do my thing. Um, a lot of that uh, ownership is on the companies operating inside to give clear benchmarks and honest benchmarks or, or updates so that the incident commander can feel more comfortable with what they see in the street compared to what you believe you're seeing in your in the compartment that you're in at the time. And if, if the incident commander thinks the fire is running and, and you're not telling them anything, but if you say, hey, you know, we're pushing down the hall, we're about to make the room, you know, by me removing myself, taking that step back, right, and, and taking it in, that does allow me to be a more participative member of that incident command plan, right, allow my people to be more successful because I'm not up their ass and, and really allow that commander to, to have confidence in what's going on um, and, and make better decisions. So, yeah, it's all, I mean, well, it's all communication. I mean, if you, I, I've never been a chief. Um, I, I don't really know how to be a battalion chief and how to run a fire ground. I mean, I, I know my piece of the pie as a company officer, so I'm sure I could right. probably make it work, but, um, I do know what it's like to be a, to have to paint a picture to sell a situation to your command officer. Um, right. you know, and, and none of that, none of that is done through, um, lying or none of that's done through false information. But, you know, if you, if you say how it, it's, it's all matter in how you pass the information, you know, if you're on there yelling and screaming or, you know, you just don't know what you're talking about or whatever you're saying. Like, you know, if they're sitting in the car and you're like, that guy sounds terrible. I don't know what the hell they're, you know what? We're going to pull them out. Let's regroup. Let's figure it out. We call them tactical retreats. So we'll retreat them. We'll regroup. We'll go back in. Um, or at, whereas if you were to come in and you say something to the effect of, you know, Hey, command, uh, you know, we have two rooms. We're making it now. We had a partial collapse of the ceiling. But, you know, nobody's nobody's hurt or whatever. We're good. We're going to keep going. Um, we have water on the fire now. Or, you know, something to the effect of, hey, we need another line. We're good. We're just going to need one more line to get this put out all the way. It's much different than we need a backup line. And that's all you say. Like, you, you know what I mean? So it's all about the, the picture you paint. And I think a lot of that with what you said, it all starts with, um, and I want to touch a little bit on what you said about the size up and, and how you talk, or um, the example you gave of how you said things. That confidence in the command officer starts from you giving your size up. So if you miss your basement benchmark, I don't want to call it a benchmark, but your basement, um, your basement check, you, you, you don't do a complete 360. You know, you don't verbally say something to the effect of all four sides of the house or building has been checked, or you very specifically say you can't finish a 360 because of a building size or whatever it is. When you start missing all those things and then you go into the, into the actual fire, you're in the building, going to the fire building, excuse me, and now you're missing those things too, but you want to stay in longer, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to right. pull you. Exactly. you know, whereas like you said, calm octave, slow yourself down, paint a decent picture with a very few words or as few words as possible because you don't want to talk too much on the radio. Um, you know, I, I think all that, I think all that ties into it, you know, and that gives, that gives those command officers the, the confidence that you know what you're talking about and, and, and you're competent enough to be able to make those decisions. Right. And I, I think too, um, not that it's hard to be honest, but we are predisposed, I'm sure in everybody's policy, the benchmarks are written out, the word you're supposed to say. But if you can't say that, you better not, right? Sure. And so you better be prepared to have a statement like, you know, chief, we're pushing in, we haven't located the fire yet, 
or, you know, um, it, it's, it's getting warm in here, but it's tenable. Right. Or, you know, I'm searching with a charge line um, and we're, we're, we're making a haul or whatever. Right. Sure. My department's not big on benchmarks anyway, but I, I'll speak as a, a relatively new incident commander. I've only been doing it for a handful of months, but, you know, I've, I've had some fires. And, and the, the other thing, too, is now I'm like starting out as the, the new green, very inexperienced person in my current role. And, and my clock is moving two or three times faster than what I believe the interior companies are. And so I'm expecting I'm like, well, how come I haven't seen, you know, conversion yet? How come there's not steam coming out that window? And then I have to realize that I've been standing out front longer than the engine's been on scene, right? Or they just made the stairs or I just heard them charge the line. And so really understanding that whole time compression and the differences of perspective is very important. And the only way we get there is by, I believe, those clear, concise, you know, appropriately put in communications. You know, I don't, I don't like it when a chief's constantly up my, my back. I need this. I need that. I know you need it. Like that's just by the, the vehicle that I showed up on. I understand my responsibilities, but I can't give you a report um, without doing it. So stop asking for one. You know, I'll give it to you. Sure. And you know, it's actually kind of interesting as you're, as you were saying all of this, you're kind of the link between command and the guys doing the work kind of shows why you should have experience, right? You spent a ton of time as, as a firefighter, as, as a lieutenant, a captain, you know, now you're a command officer, you're standing out front and you have the experience to understand what it's like to go through whatever the building is. You used a new, you used a specific name for a, a, a apartment building and I forget what it was. Um, well, we two and a half and three woods are the bulk of what we, we yeah. With. So three-story wood frame i mean you know from your experience what it's going to take to get a hand line to the third floor to the farthest bedroom away from the front door right. like you know what i mean the, the yeah. for, whatever that furthest point is if that's where the fire is which typically it always seems to be is the most right. difficult place yeah. to get to um you know how long that's going to take and, and you understand what it's going to be like to go through it you understand what it's like to be doing that at three o'clock in the morning with two inches of snow on the ground like you know all those things play into your mind I think as a command officer, I would assume, and, and you now, at, with the experience, you can sit back and say, all right, they've been in there for, this is just for conversation's sake, a minute. I'm going to give them three because it probably would have taken me two minutes to get in there when I was a truck officer or an engine officer or whatever. You know, I'm going to give them a little bit. Whereas the, off, the chief officer that's inexperienced is going to go, well, wait a minute, what are they taking so long for? And they're anxious, you know, they're getting worked up, but they don't have the experience to rely on to know. It's going to take some work and it's going to take us a little while to get up there. We don't need to freak out just yet. There's nothing to freak out about. Everything looks okay. They're not telling me anything bad's going on. I know, I know what they're going to have to go through to get there. I think that leads to a very successful fire ground. I think where the perspective changes is, and you talked about time. Well, now you are, I think time moves extremely slow in the moment when you are doing your job as a firefighter because you're so overwhelmed with what's going on in, in front of your two hands. You lost your sight, right? You probably can't hear a whole, I mean, I can't hear, I can hear, but it's, it's hard to hear because everything's so loud and everything's garbled with all your gear on and all that. And I think your time slows down. Whereas when you're out front standing there watching, everything goes, takes super long because you almost kind of understand what time is in a different sense. And, 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 you know, you're getting anxious because you're like, well, it's been three minutes. Right. And then one other thing to add to it is um, if you've spent your whole career operating on the inside, other than seeing pictures afterwards or maybe a video that the news might have had, you have no idea what it looks like on the outside for that 20 minutes. Yeah. And now I'm standing on the outside trying to draw an inference between what I think is going on inside and weighing it out to what I really see on the outside now and trying to balance out rate time, you know, productivity and, and, and all that. And so as a new incident, a newer incident commander for me, there's, it's a learning curve. And there's also a thing that, uh, there, there's also a, a bit of, I'm sure, um, comfort in you or for you, knowing you have those officers with a, a decent amount of time on that are going to know what you need, you need to hear, not what you want to hear. They're going to know what you need to hear to be able to add all those pieces to the puzzle. 
and, and you know, through the experience, they're going to know there's certain phrases or, or, or languages, like you kind of said, not language, nuances of things that need to be brought up um, to be able to, for you to understand that this, the environment is safe, tenable, you know, victims are rescuable um, and all that. Right. So, you know, so you just know, one thing, and, and the funny thing is, this really wraps the whole thing up because the communication problems on the fire ground lead to lesser than ideal results. Same problem in the firehouse. If, if we would just talk to each other some more with open minds, we would definitely get, you know, those better results. And so I, I think, you know, Folks go through the academy and they, we don't really push communication too much. And now we don't even talk on the radio 90% of the time because we're just pressing buttons on the MDT. But yeah. again, I think, you know, communication on the fire ground, absolutely key. It'll, it'll slow you down, control your breathing a little bit, give you a better understanding of what you're looking at. And then in the fire, in the firehouse, it may also give you that extra perspective that you didn't have and really kind of deescalate a lot of situations that probably didn't need to go where they went. Yeah. And, and as an officer, or somebody in a leadership position, me specifically as a company officer, what I've learned is taking a deep breath before you say something on the radio, you know, I mean, obviously a mayday is a different situation, but, you know, if I know I need to report, you know, fires knocked, whatever, whatever, I, in my mind, I say it, I take a breath, then I talk, right? Or I take a breath and say it. Um, in the firehouse, when there's stressful situations, where there's interpersonal issues, conflict resolution with um, a citizen on a call, or just whatever that stressful environment is, active listening, taking a breath, then talking is, is always going to, not always, but is going to make the situation um, op as optimal as possible for what, for what you have going on. Right. You know, one more thing on, on the firearm communications. If sure. you're doing good things and say you're on that line, you, you're, you, you can tell you're hitting the base of the fire, you can tell it's getting knocked down, you got steam conversion and all that stuff. Have a little bit of maturity and, and hold off on that report. The chief's going to know that you got water on the fire because he'll see that condition change on the outside. But before you go and start making, you know, sweeping declarations about what's going on inside the building, let, let the work do the work. Right. And then from there, you can get a better sense. Hey, chief, now we've got water on the fire. We're making progress. We're pushing in, you know, instead of giving the commander the sense that, oh, maybe it was just a small fire when really you're trying to knock three rooms or something, you know. So um, that's a big part, too, where I think folks are preconditioned to believe that they've got to give reports super fast. And, yeah, look, if it's going bad and to your point, like the May Day, get it out. Right. But when sure. you're, you're making progress and it seems like things are going well, it's OK to hold off another five, eight, 10, 15 seconds on that report because people will know that things are changing. But yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting the way you said that, because I remember learning as a new officer from, uh, you know, a couple couple of uh, older officers, seasoned officers, however you want to say it. Um, I did something very similar to that on a call. And one of the guys that one of the guys on the call asked me, he's like, you know, hey, why did you say you had a line on the fire? I was like, because he opened the line. He goes, okay. He goes, well, when did it start feeling cool on your ears? And you could you could see the temperature, or you could feel the conversion, or you could feel like you know what it's like. You knock it, you feel this, you feel the steam, especially right. around your Nomex area. And um, I was like, well, I don't know. I didn't think about that. He goes, well, you could flow water into smoke because you need to. It doesn't mean you have a line on the fire, or you could think the fire is here, but it's just it's just coming out, or you're not putting the fire out just because you open the line. He goes, you yep. need to be able to wait kind of I mean, exactly what you said. You need to be able to wait to where you can see, feel, see and feel the conversion. Cause you're going to watch it. You're, it's, you're not, it's, it's, you're not going to miss it. If you're in, you know, where you should be as, as a, you know, as an officer in the lines open. So, um, you know, I, I think that is a very important thing. And, and I think, you know, though all those radio transmissions feel like a millisecond in time, which they are over time, they all add up. They all add up to your credibility from instant command to trust your assessment. They add up to the guys that you work with listening to how you act, how you talk, uh, you know, on the fire ground. And, and I think it, it's all, it's all important. So um, I think this is a good place to end it. Is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Anything um, you wanted to go over that we may have missed uh, so far? 
no, I, I think we did a, a good job. I think we covered, you know, what we wanted to hit, and um, I think it went well. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Nick, thank you. Um, so you do, you do truck tactics. Uh, you have Instagram, Facebook. Uh, where, where's a good place for people to reach you um, if they want to uh, get a hold of you? Maybe, maybe book a class. Right. So on Instagram, it's truck underscore tactics on Facebook. I think it's just truck tactics. Um, my email is truck tactics training at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, we come out and do classes. Uh, we even do just webinars if, if that's more fitting um, either way. But yeah, lectures hands on. Um, everything is customized to the needs of the client. Um, and we've we've been all over now. So it's it's been fun. And uh, we're starting a book for next year. So it looks like another busy year, which is great. Sounds great. Congratulations on that. And I hope hopefully it's a nice and busy for you. So Nick, please don't go anywhere real quick while I close this out. Um, everybody, thanks again for coming back and listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, and share. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell your friends about the social media. There's going to be more episodes in the coming weeks. Everybody, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Tip of the spear leadership. Be present. Be yourself. Be unstoppable. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thank <laughs> you.